Why are we so obsessed with true crime, with with spooky movies, paranormal uh, incidents, serial killers, uh, violence and horror? Why? It seems like it's an epidemic. If you turn on any cable uh, station, you're going to see all kinds of true crime and all kinds of scary movies, and we and they all sell. And with us to discuss the topic of why we as human beings are obsessed with this type of thing is one of the foremost experts uh, in the whole country on this. Actually, maybe in the whole world, Dr. Colton Scrivener. He's a behavioral scientist and research scientist at the Recreational Fear Lab at our house university in Denmark, strangely, the happiest country in the world. And he's uh, written a book called Dark Minds, Soft Hearts that is being published. He regularly lectures and blogs and writes for Substack and Psychology Today on these very issues. Welcome, Dr. Scrivener. How are you today? Hey, Karen. I'm doing good. How are you? Good. I love this topic because I am one of those people who am really just just transfixed with with all of these types of issues. You have coined the phrase morbid curiosity, and that it's for the popularity of horror films and true crime violence in the news and and the like. Tell us uh, why you have studied this issue, and are we talking about something psychological, sociological, or biological, or all three? Yeah, and so starting with the the last part of your question there, it's definitely all three. Um, I've focused more on sort of the biological and and psychological aspects, but there are certainly, um, you know, sociological aspects to our fascination with true crime and and horror as well. Uh, I, I got into this topic because early in grad school, I was, you know, browsing around different ideas, looking, trying to think, like, what do I want to study? Um, because I was sort of broadly interested in human behavior. And one of the topics I came across was uh, why humans are interested in violence. And so it was, it was curious to me that, you know, if you look across history and across cultures, most places at most points in history have uh, violence as a form of entertainment, uh, all the way, you know, from the Romans and the Colosseum to modern-day MMA and boxing. And so I was really interested in how people uh, parsed information about, like, okay, is this violence acceptable or unacceptable? Is this violence entertaining or not entertaining? And over time, I sort of uh, fell into why people were uh, interested in scaring themselves as well. And as I began researching those two topics in parallel, I saw a lot of overlap uh, and and sort of eventually combined them into this overarching study of uh, morbid curiosity. Can you give us the short answer to the question, why is it that people are interested in being exposed to these types of scary uh, movies, books, and experiences? Yeah. The, the short answer as to why, um, why people are interested in, in scary experiences in the form of entertainment is that scary experiences offer people uh, an opportunity to learn about threats or potential threats in a very safe way, and in a way that feels fun and playful and not overwhelming. So are you saying that maybe it's sort of a dress rehearsal for what might happen to you in the future, and so from a biological standpoint, you are preparing for the future? That's right. And I, and I think it's important, too, to distinguish between, uh, in biology, you know, what you call approximate explanation for something and an ultimate explanation for something. So approximate explanation is sort of the most immediate answer. So why did I go watch the most recent horror movie? Well, because I like horror movies, right? And that's that's a, a good proximate answer for why. Uh, but the ultimate reason why is the one I just gave you. So why do humans as a species seek out these kinds of things? 
Um, and so the ultimate answer would be, yeah, it is kind of a, a dress rehearsal. And our minds sort of seek out those opportunities, um, often, you know, subconsciously. We're not actively thinking that we're learning something when we watch these kinds of things, at least not usually. Um, but our minds do recognize these as, as learning opportunities. Is it possible that as society becomes more violent, and I, I feel like it has become more violent, I mean, you see just more shootings and more, uh, you know, every, you know every, I turn on the news, it, if it bleeds, it leads, and it's bleeding all over the place. Is it possible that, um, that, that people are enjoying more of these kinds of um, entertainment sources because our society is becoming more scary? Well, I think... I think more scary is probably the better term than more violent. I mean, if you look historically, uh, you know, modern-day society is certainly much less violent than, than the past. But um, today we're easily exposed to violence that doesn't occur around us, right? If we turn on the news, most of the violence that we hear about on, on the radio or on the news or read about in the newspaper is not something that happened in our neighborhood. It's not something that maybe even happened in our city. Um, so even though we the places we live are less violent, it feels like there's a lot more violence around us because uh, of, of the you know the global nature of news. Now that that could make us more morbidly curious, right? Because it does seem like uh, we have more violence around us, but we're not experiencing it, which means we need to learn something about it. I'm going to direct your listener, our listeners here to the Morbid Curiosity Test, which is online at your website, and all you need to do is Colton C O L T A N Scrivener. S-C-R-I-V-N-E-R, and you'll find that test. It'll take you just a few minutes to do it. I took the test. My mm-hmm. husband took the test. Uh, I am mm-hmm. I am a higher on the scale of morbid curiosity. It didn't surprise me one bit. <laughs> My husband uh, tended to like more violence in watching these mm-hmm. things than me, and I don't know if that's a male-female thing or that's just a my-husband-type thing. Um, tell us mm-hmm. what this test is for and what it what it tests for and what you found with the results. Yeah. Um, so as far as male-female thing, uh, definitely in the studies that I've done, males tend to score a bit higher on the violence sort of subcategory or subdomain. Um, it's not by much, but it is a pretty, like, small but consistent effect. Um, as far as what it, what it measures, I think it's important to, uh, to say here that it doesn't measure, you know, it's, it's not a, a diagnostic tool as far as, like, clinical diagnosis, right? There's nothing... Uh, wrong with being morbidly curious. It's not a pathological indication, nothing like that. Um, it does measure uh, trait levels of morbid curiosity and, and how morbidly curious people tend to be. And so, for example, if you're, uh, more, your husband is more morbidly curious about violence, that doesn't mean that he is more accepting of violence or more likely to commit violence. It just means that uh, when violence occurs, it piques his interest, right? It's something that he would turn and look at or pay attention to or gather more information about. So this test measures uh, four different domains. One of those is violence. One of those is uh, the paranormal or supernatural. So this would be an interest in things that uh, are a bit hard to uh, a bit hard to learn about. So like ghosts or the occult or aliens. Um, a third category would be bodily disgust. So sort of bodily injuries or uh, the, the limitations or vulnerability of the body. Um, doctors, for example, would score very high in this one. And the final category is uh, minds of dangerous people, which would be uh, sort of the essence of true crime and understanding uh, why people are sometimes violent and what drives them to do that. 
And that's the one I was, I, I'm sure that's what drove my, my score. Though. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I always yeah. like the, the why, you know, the, the crimes themselves, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not sure I want to watch, you know, the, the gore, but I do want to get exactly. into the mind of the person. And when I, when I hear those tapes with the serial killers, you got my full attention there. <laughs> um, when we come <laughs> well, back, if you think about it, all of those do teach you something about the violence, right? You can yeah. observe the violence directly. You can learn about the violence by learning about the person behind it. You can learn about the violence by learning about sort of the outcome or the bodily, you know, the bodily injury aspect of it. Um, or you can learn about it uh, if you think it's caused by something more supernatural. Yeah. So we're really all about learning about threats or dangers. We're talking to Dr. Colton Scrivener. Uh, he wrote the book, Dark Minds, Soft Hearts, who is studying the issue of uh, why people are obsessed with scary movies. You know, um, is there some idea that certain, like, for instance, like zombie movies to me are not scary necessarily because they're so not real that I don't get scared. But like Silence of the Lambs, yeah, it scares me because a, a person like him could exist and probably does. Mm-hmm. Is there mm-hmm. is there a difference in, in those different types of scary movies when it comes to people's reactions? Yeah. Uh, you know, zombie movies are, are probably the most popular sort of subgenre of horror, right? At least mass, to the masses, right? Like, if you, if you make a zombie movie, it has a higher chance of being a blockbuster <laughs> hit or a, you know, a hit TV show. And that's part of the part of the reason for that is because it's scary, but slightly less uh, scary than something that could happen, right? And in some cases, zombie films, uh, you know, if they, if you think of like The Last of Us, they made it more about um, you know, something that might happen, something slightly more realistic in, in how it happened. And that was probably a lot scarier for people because it was slightly more realistic. And so there is this kind of dimension of, you know, incredibly fake to potentially real that people fall along. And, and people who are, um, you know, able to handle the scares a bit more are a bit more okay with those things that are a little more real. And the people who are a bit more prone to feeling scared tend to enjoy the things that uh, are a bit more obviously fake, right? You, um, I, I was listening to a, a little interview that you gave, and I'm not getting into too much in the weeds here, but you talk about how people who like scary experiences, movies, whatever, um, tend to be a little higher in anxiety. They, their levels of anxiety are a little bit higher, and that's what you've learned through your studies. And so the question mm-hmm. is, if that's the case, why would you, as a person who has a higher level of anxiety generally, turn on something on your television that is would arguably make you more anxious, not less anxious? Right. Yeah, it's one of the more at least initially surprising things that I've, I've found. Um, and, and, it, and it's true on a population level. I mean, there are, of course, individuals who are low in anxiety and love horror and high in anxiety and hate horror. But if you look at, you know, if you collect a large sample of people and look at the averages, on average, those who enjoy horror or true crime uh, are a bit higher in self-reported anxiety than, and, and even in clinical diagnosis than uh, those who, who dislike horror. And part of the, if you think about what anxiety is and what it does, it starts to make sense. So someone who has, let's say, like generalized anxiety disorder, they start, they feel sort of anxious about things. Um, they're not sure why. One of the symptoms of that is increased vigilance. And so you're more vigilant towards potential threats in your environment. Um, and that doesn't mean just real threats, but also anything that sort of mimics a threat, right? And so if you're more vigilant towards threats, you're also going to be more uh, attentive to things like horror films or true crime because they signal potential threats. Uh, and this is probably especially true for true crime, which 
signals potential real threats. Um, now, there's a whole other that, – that explains why they pay attention to it. It doesn't quite explain why they like it. There's a, a couple of other things I've written about suggesting that horror and true crime and other kinds of scary entertainment can actually offer people relief from their anxiety because it gives them uh, sort of a way out of rumination cycles. So because if you're feeling really anxious um, and you're not sure why, you have generalized anxiety – if you turn on a horror film, it kind of reroutes your brain and gives it something safe to feel anxious about. And then, you know, after 90 minutes, the horror movie is over and your body can kind of calm down and relax. If you can call Hannibal Lecter an anxiety. That's right. uh, I, it just, I mean, I suppose it redirects you from your own personal little torturous like mind yeah. to, to something that you kind of know is, is not real. And, and, and maybe yeah. it, 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 it takes your attention and, and gets it away from your own stuff, uh, I suppose. That's yeah. right. Yeah, uh, and, and again, it doesn't work for everyone, but it does seem to work for a, you know, a substantial portion of people. So, and I'm, I don't think you've studied this, but what would be your guess on this? So, if, if we're all watching these murder shows, and you know, and you're rooting for the the poor young woman who's getting tied up, but you know it's going to happen because it's a murder show, and you you know how this is this is not going to end well. Is there any idea that because I'm watching these shows, that if I were to be in that situation myself, that I would be more prepared? and better able to extricate myself and, and get away. Is there any study or anything that's shown that that's the case? So, you know, as, as you mentioned, that's kind of a, it's a hard thing to study because uh, review boards don't exactly want you to put someone in a situation where they're <laughs> right. kidnapped and, right. and study them. Um, but there, there ha- there's at least one study that I'm aware of um, back probably in 2000, I think it was 2011 or 12, that showed that... Uh, People enjoyed true crime podcasts more when the podcast uh, gave details about how the person escaped. So at least there's some greater enjoyment from that. Um, there's also a, a poll that was conducted um, by SWNS uh, a few months ago that I was involved in that polled true crime fans. And most of them felt like when they were watching true crime, they were learning sort of important information about what they would do if they were in a similar situation. Now, that doesn't mean that they would be able to enact it. It doesn't mean that they would have a higher chance of escape necessarily, but it does mean that they do feel that way, right? They feel like they're learning something. Um, So yeah, hard hard to say if it would actually be the case, but it certainly seems like, um, you know, that's something that that could happen. And we found, for example, in one study that I conducted uh, in 2020 about the pandemic, we found that uh, fans of horror films and people who had watched pandemic movies were, were more resilient during the pandemic. Hmm. And one of the things we found was that people who had watched at least one pandemic-themed movie in their life, just one, uh, were much more likely to report feeling more resilient in the early months of the pandemic. People who had watched no pandemic films were much less likely uh, to be resilient. And so some evidence there, at least, that having seen something like this before um, can sort of help you cope when the real thing occurs. Um, this is kind of a weird question, but I, I think I told you in an email that I had the opportunity of representing a serial killer in his last death row mm-hmm. appeals. And, you know, whenever I give a speech or someone says, hey, she represented this guy and, you know, and everyone goes, like, oh, Karen, wow, how could you possibly, how could you do that? And then the next <laughs> right, question right. is, tell me, what was he like, right? So yeah, there is this, more, right? <laughs> tell me more, you know, it, and then and that, that second question is, comes very quickly. Um yeah. Do people actually, I think people maybe are a little ashamed of their obsession. Do people have shame over mm-hmm. the fact that they, they would like to get to know a serial killer? Or, or is that something that people just accept of, by them, of themselves? 
Yeah, I, I mean, certainly some people probably feel ashamed of it, right? Because it feels wrong to say that I would like to learn more about this person who society and probably myself deem as, you know, morally corrupt and bad and, and you know, shouldn't be involved in society. But there are plenty of things that are really bad that people are curious about, right? And in fact, there, in fact, we should be curious about things that are bad, because if we always avoided things that were bad, then we would be incredibly unprepared when they eventually happened, right? Uh, I mean, that's a, a main tenet of, in clinical psychology is that avoidance generally is a, is a bad behavior uh, when it comes to things that you feel threatened by, and it's better to actually uh, to learn about those things, and, and curiosity sort of motivates that learning. And so, yeah, I do think a lot of people probably do feel ashamed, um, but... You know, a lot of that just comes from, like you said, it, the gut reaction of, oh, this is a bad person. You shouldn't want anything to do with them. Um, but I think, you know, feeling curious about something and wanting to learn about it is, is a bit different than wanting to be, you know, than, than being accepting of it or wanting to be involved in it in any other kind of way. That, that makes sense. And, you know, I I think I always I used to think of it. And maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think people are generally interested in extremes, right? The people who who, yeah. who who run the fastest mile, who who break all the records, you know, in the Olympics, and and all of those good things, and those good people, and those talented people, and then they they like the worst of our society because they're also interesting because they're so extreme and so bad that it seems yeah. to me that human nature likes likes the extremes. Yeah, I mean, we like to understand why other humans and how other humans do the things that they do. And that's, you know, not just the good things, but also the bad things. Right, exactly. Um, So do you like scary movies yourself, Dr. Scrivener? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. And like, what what scares you the most? (laughs) Um, And I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what would what scares me the most. I think, uh, you know, probably like you mentioned, things that really could happen. that get you thinking outside of the movie, even and thinking, you know, gosh, something like this could actually happen, you know, in my life or in someone I know life. Yeah. Um, those kinds of things are probably the most scary for, for most people. Yeah, that's true. And one last question, and and I don't know if you've studied this at all, but, you know, the, I have a lot of clients who, who are divorced and they said, like, oh, mm-hmm. my, my ex-husband let the kid watch, you know, um, you know, Halloween 16 or whatever we're on right now. <laughs> and, you know, it's so bad for the kids. It, it, you know, is there, yeah. is there, are there studies done showing that kids should not be exposed to these gory, scary things? Yeah, that's a good question. It's certainly something that probably most parents worry about, right? Um, and I, there's there's some evidence related to this that suggests it actually could be good for them uh, under the right circumstances. So, yeah, if, you know, there, there's evidence that kids who, you know, r- engaging in risky or thrilling or even scary types of play, um, that's age-appropriate still, but, like, risky or scary or thrilling types of play um, is really good for kids uh, and can actually help prevent anxiety, uh, as they grow up, probably because it helps them uh, learn what it feels like to be anxious, learn what it feels like to be slightly out of, you know, have something slightly out of control or be out of your control, um, and learning that you can kind of overcome that, right? And learning that it teaches you self-confidence, essentially. Um, and kids engage in all kinds of scary play by themselves, right? Like, we don't have to uh, promote that necessarily. Not that it's a bad thing to show your kid a scary movie, but kids are going to do it on their own anyway. They're going to go off and have imaginative play that's often like, you know, cartoonishly violent or cartoonishly scary. Um, And, you know, I don't think that as long as kids have a kind of 
support there. Like if you're watching it with them, for example, and if they get too afraid, you allow them to pause it or turn it off or whatever. Uh, I don't see any any issue with that. And I don't think there's any empirical evidence that I'm aware of that it would be, be bad for kids. Dr. Colton Scrivener, thank you so much for joining us. Buy his book, Dark Minds, Soft Hearts. Go to his website, take the test, and then go watch a scary movie. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you.